1: Buy a real estate asset, great, but if you got a bad operator or a bad management company, they can run it into the ground, they can suck your cash flow. One eviction and unit turn can dry up your cash flow for years. If you got a do the renovations again. So it all comes down to operations and third parties just not going to do it as well as you are.
0: Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff.
2: Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I am your host, Joe Cornwell. And today I'm joined by Wyatt Simon. Today's episode is brought to you by BAM Capital, a trusted multifamily sending Indicator that has never missed a preferred payment and never lost an LP's investment. To learn more about investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com or click the link in the show notes. He's a principal investor. They focus on value add real estate. He currently has 176 units under management, valued over $20 million, mix of units with the largest being 54. He also runs his own property management company that self manages their entire portfolio. Wyatt, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today?
1: Hey, I'm doing fantastic. How are you,
2: Joe? I'm very good. Thank you. I know this is your first time on the show, so let's spend a little bit of time on your background. Where'd you come from, and then how did you get into real estate?
1: Yeah, well, I grew up in Colorado and thought I was going to play in the NBA. Unfortunately, I ended up being 5'11 and white, and that didn't happen. But my journey took me to Nebraska to play college at a small college in Nebraska, where I met my wife, who is from Omaha. So I landed in this beautiful snowy state of Nebraska right now. Back up a second, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And after reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, I said, there's gotta be a way to have these assets make money for me while I sleep. So that was what sparked the journey, much like everybody else. And I started buying real estate. Now, I didn't have a bunch of money, so I started with a duplex, living in one side and renting out the other, and got a sales job, and then started buying properties using the Burr strategy, mostly single family. started really slow. In the first year, I bought a duplex and a single family. Next year, I bought three single families. Next year, I bought six single families. And then uh, the year after that, I bought 20 single families and then eventually moved into about 20 properties a year along with multifamily. So just kind of the stack like you see a lot of investors do. It was a slow journey and started figuring out a lot of stuff along the way. And guess the last thing I'll say is I set up a management company about two years ago as well to manage the portfolio. I know we were talking earlier, you did too. So that's me.
2: So take me back to what was the first year you bought your first rental when you were house hacking?
1: 2018, I moved to Nebraska and spent six months after work looking for a duplex. Could not find one, kept getting outbid, eventually had to put in an offer $15,000 over ask. And no inspections, and finally got a duplex. And of course, the day after moving in, it's the middle of summer. The AC goes out. So hit with a three hundred and fifty dollars AC bill. It's a hundred degrees in the unit the day of moving in. That's the first experience to real estate. So I quit there, and then that's the end yeah. of the story, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's tough. There's a lot of first-time investors, first couple deals. I think that's the hardest point for most people. Definitely when. Most people quit when they have challenges or they have a deal go really bad because they didn't know what they were doing. And it's an easy way to look at real estate and say, oh, well, this is not possible. It doesn't work. It's too hard. And then either sell it and move on or quit scaling. With that in mind, I made a note of something you said here where you went from six single families in one year to 20. That's quite the jump. What was that process like? I think that you said that was in year two or three when you started making that leap of scale. And how did you accomplish that?
1: Well, first off, it was in year four, so it took a long time to get there. It's just slow. People don't talk about that enough. They just want to say, man, this guy crushed it in his twenties. It's like, well, no, my first three years, it was slow and it was hard, but I was learning. Year four, I said, all right, this is enough. I'm tired of buying properties on market. So I set up my own direct seller system with my business partner. So we started mailing properties, going out, running our own appointments and getting our own leads, and that allowed us to set up our own deal flow and, and start buying more deals.
2: Okay. Did you have a partner this entire time? Or at what point did you bring on a partner?
1: My first eight properties were on my own. And then I brought on a partner when I, again, wanted to stop buying on-market deals. So I was trying to do off-market things on my own. And I got pointed out by a coach. He said, you know what, Wyatt, you're a sales guy. You're not a systems guy. So you really need to bring on someone that can help you out with this. So brought on a systems guy. And just like clockwork, we bought 20 properties that next year
2: yeah I know you mentioned you were in sales what type of sales were you doing
1: so I worked for a foundation company here in Omaha and we traveled four different states doing foundation sales large projects our average sale was probably ninety eight hundred dollars so I got comfortable with big numbers and I got good at listening to people's needs and connecting how we could
2: help them okay and this was foundation repairs or new construction foundations like what type of foundation we yeah you?
1: mostly foundation repair so I was kind of like a doctor for a house you didn't want to see me but I could diagnose it and figure out what we need to do to fix it. And I saw a lot of crazy foundations.
2: Okay. So you got some experience in sales. Obviously that translates to real estate and you happen to be in a business surrounded by or involving real estate in your sales job. So I'm sure that helped correlate to doing some of the off market campaigns and trying to connect with sellers and hopefully provide a win-win situation for them. Tell me a little bit about how that process started and what was your role with the new partnership?
0: Yeah,
1: well, I met my partner through church actually years before we had partnered. It was a friend of mine that said, Hey, you're in real estate. You got to meet my buddy. So, Sean French is his name and we ended up meeting at a Whole Foods, which I thought was super weird because who meets at Whole Foods, right? But when you get to know Sean, he's the healthiest man in the world. So it made sense later on. But he was also trying to do his own direct seller system. Again, he was a systems guy, but he is not a sales guy. (laughs) Front facing, he doesn't do that well. So eventually I was trying to do it on my own and I couldn't, and I bought one property in six months and it just wasn't consistent. It wasn't working well. So I saw Sean at a meetup and I saw him at a meetup continually. I, I knew of him. And eventually I told him at the meetup, Hey, this is what I'm trying to do. Maybe you want to try this out and we can split it 50, 50. And then he took the bull by the horns from there and he set up our data, started mailing on a consistent basis. And then he started setting appointments for me. And then I would go out there after work and go on these appointments and again, just listen to the seller's problems. Sometimes the investors get a bad rep because you think you're taking advantage of people. But most of the time, the 10% of people that we go out there, we're helping. 90%, go sell it on the market. That's your best option. And I'm listening as to why you want to work with me. And then we're solving the problem for you, which is speed and convenience.
2: Absolutely. Wholesalers do get a bad rap. Some of it deserved. I've worked with a lot i've wholesaled a couple properties kind of like incidentally i would say not necessarily what i was trying to do but i get a lead off market for something that's just not what i buy or not where i buy and i was able to do contract assignments but again never like what i set out to do but as you mentioned a good wholesaler is going to create solutions for both the seller and the end buyer and that should be their place in the market if they're doing things legally and correctly But unfortunately a lot of people don't and they're just trying to peddle bad deals and they're making promises and writing checks. They can't cash to sellers and buyers. And obviously that's why wholesalers overall, the industry has such a bad reputation.
1: Yeah. If I could expand on that too. So most of the appointments we went on, we bought, I would say we bought about 75% of the properties using the burst strategy. And again, I'm not super loaded. I was making a good amount of money in the sales job, but we were not able to leave much cash, if any, into deals. So in two years, we picked up 28 properties. So maybe it's about 60% of the properties we picked up for quote unquote free. And then the other properties that we couldn't for out of hundred percent is when we would either wholesale it or flip it ourselves. So I can tell you that there's only one property ever in my career that I put under contract that I have not closed on. And that was very, very early on in my journey, even prior to partnering with Sean.
2: And that's great. Obviously you are going into these deals with good intentions. And I think that's the main thing that separates good and bad wholesalers. And one question I had when you went into that fourth year and you did the 20 single families, what was your motivation to stay on the path of doing single family deals and reading your background? It sounds like obviously at some point that transitioned into multifamily. So walk me through that psychology.
1: Yeah. Well, first off, multifamily never really crossed my mind until we already set up the single family system. I had a lot of experience with bigger pockets. And in bigger pockets at the time, they weren't really talking about multifamily. It was just all single family. So that's where I was coming from, that narrow lens. Eventually, once we did 20 properties one year, another 20 properties the next year, it was like, okay, there's gonna be economies of scale here if we could just pick up multifamily and not do 20 individual transactions, but do one or two or four. So in the year of 2021, is when I was fortunate enough to come across a 23 unit off market that I purchased. And that was my first step into multifamily. After doing that transaction, it just really opened my eyes to the scalability that it landed. It was a little bit more work than a single family, but it wasn't 23 times as much work. It was maybe one and a half times as much work and was so much worth it on the back end.
2: And that's a great point. And I think that's often overlooked. You hear a lot of new investors when they're reading books, listening to podcasts like this they hear people talking about these different motivations for going after single family or multifamily. And I have a similar background. My investing was predominantly the Burr model for the first six, seven years I was investing, and it allowed me to scale. But as I became a more experienced investor, I got out of looking at types of deals or even specific neighborhoods. And I got a much more comfortable with just doing good deals. That's what I like to tell people. I look for good deals, whatever that may be. If it's 50 units, great. If it's a duplex, great. I don't do a lot of single families, but I've done a few. But the point I'm getting to is that as you become more experienced and more sophisticated as an investor, you also have to look at not only the economies of scale, because it may be a bigger deal, which is obviously a benefit of that, but you also have to look at the bandwidth it's going to take. And your motivations change as you make more money and you have more cash flow and your net worth grows. Your motivations are going to be different because doing a single family or duplex or something, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a month in cash flow, you're not really going to have as much motivation to go after that two or four or six hundred dollars a month in cash flow because that amount of work it's going to add to your plate could be significant unless you have a really large team built out or something. So it's just something I want to caution the listeners with where not only do you have to look at it as does the deal itself make sense, but does this make sense in my strategy and how much time and effort and bandwidth is this going to take from me as an investor? And it sounds like part of your transition to multifamily was looking at all three sides of that.
1: Yeah, it's so true. I can't tell you how many deals come across our plate that are. just on the other side of the border, like with Iowa or just south of Omaha. It's tempting to go after these deals, but the bandwidth it would take, and I know we both self-manage, right? So I have a team that does all of our management of our 176 units. And so for our team to actually go into different markets, it just takes a lot of time and effort and it's just not worth it. So I've had to say no to deals that are not there and we only focus on Omaha and Lincoln. That's it.
2: That was going to be my follow-up question. So All of these are in general area in which you're based, the deals you've done and have held. Yep.
1: 60-mile radius of Omaha.
0: Okay. Makes sense. We'll get back to the show. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital... BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors, targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. So tell me
2: a little bit about some of the larger multifamily deals. At what point in your journey, did you transition into those? And what did that first large deal look like? It
1: was 2021, which had been four years into my journey is when I landed my first multifamily deal. It was a 23 unit off market through a family relationship that we had. So long story short, I ended up buying it. They owned it in cash. And so I was able to get it seller financed, put 10% down. And then out of that 10%, I partnered with another guy and I had a acquisition fee. So I brought very little capital to that transaction to own 50% of 23 units, which was a great start. And then we completed the value-add strategy. We raised the rents. Operating costs stayed pretty steady on that one. And we were able to take that asset value and almost double it in less than a year. So that was a good deal.
2: Are any of these that you have done the value-add with, did you sell them? Did you refi them? What has your exit been on these?
1: We did a refi, and we got a large refi check out, which was great. And then just put that into more deals. And then what we've been doing is just continuing to do the value add strategy. And after that, bought a nine unit. After that, bought a 12 unit. After that, bought a 26 unit townhome complex. After that, bought a 36 unit and an 18 unit. So I picked up these small to mid multis and done one syndication. As you leave money in deals, you run out of cash at some point. So we syndicated the 36 unit and that was last year. And just continuing to do the value add strategy and keep stacking assets.
2: What's interesting to me with your story is so many people I talk to across the country, whether it's this show or other networking events, talk about how there's no deals out there. There's nothing to invest in. Interest rates were up to 8%. You can't make deals work. Obviously, that's not the case. So tell me how in the last 12 months you have been sourcing these deals and putting them together. Well, first off,
1: it is hard. There's a headwind in the industry or there was. Hopefully interest rates are coming down. But it wasn't easy. I can tell you this year, we only have bought two deals. And out of the multifamily, it was an 18-unit off market. And we sourced it because it was right next to our syndication that we bought. So pro tip, if you're buying assets, go meet the neighbors. Build relationships. And your value add there is if they're going to list it with a broker, they're going to pay the broker fees. If you can buy it for market value and they don't have to pay the broker fee, then you're going to get it at some kind of a discount. Or hey, at least you're going to get it.
2: Right. You're not competing with 20 other offers like we did the last few years prior to this year. So not having competition in and of itself is a massive value off market.
1: Big time. That's just what we've been doing. And I can't say it's been easy this year. I've probably analyzed between 85 to 100 properties that we put offers on and we've gotten one. So I'm not pencils down. like A lot of people are pencils down. I'm still making offers. I'm still doing follow-up and good things happen to those who keep going. And I think that's the trick. Just don't stop and you don't lose.
2: Yeah. What's the quote there? It's luck in preparation, create opportunity or something like that. Opportunity is the mix of luck and preparation, right? Or something like that.
1: Preparation (laughs) plus opportunity opportunity equals
2: luck. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Thank you. Great point. So tell me a little bit about your property management company. Now, I know you said you brought everything in house. Was it always self-managed? Did you transition at some point?
1: So when I bought my first 23 unit in 2021, I had 15 properties and then I was self-managing 15 properties while working a full-time job while doing the single family acquisition and then 2021 hit and there was no way I can do self-management for a 23 unit. So partnered with a management company, the management company that we bought it with, we were just going to keep it with them. They were doing an awful job. They continued to do an awful job, even with our business plan. So then we fired them. We hired another one. They came in guns blazing saying they were going to do great. And two, three months later, nothing changes. We're like, Okay this isn't working. So eventually at the end of 2021, I decided, okay, I've got enough deal flow coming in. It's time. I'm going to leave my W2 and I'm going to set up a property management company to service the portfolio because I plan on doing this long time and I want it to be done and ran as efficient as possible. So that was when I made the jump. And again, it was not easy. I came from a sales guy that was good at my job. If you leave me alone, I'm going to do great to coming into running a property management company. And there's a lot of skill sets that I had to learn And unfortunately I had to learn the hard way. I hired people I shouldn't have. So the first year was just tough. It was a big learning curve. It was not easy, but I just kept going, kept learning. And at this point now we have four full-time employees. We've got really a property manager underneath me. We call him the director. He runs the majority of the company. We've got two full-time maintenance techs, one in each city that we manage in. And then we've got a virtual assistant full-time with us and then we also have a leasing agent that is part-time and helps out
2: okay what management system are you guys using
1: we run everything off of appfolio
2: appfolio gotcha yep that's what we just switched to as well this year
1: yeah how's bookkeeping going for you
2: it's tough I have kept my books with QuickBooks all the way up until this year. And I'm going to close out this year with QuickBooks and then transition to using that folio system. It's not as intuitive and comprehensive as QuickBooks is, but the benefit for me is it allowed me to offload that to my assistant who also does a lot of our property management. So it'll save a lot of time for me, but yeah, it's definitely way more time consuming than than QuickBooks has been.
1: Yeah. Dude, that kicked my butt for a while. I went through three different firms for bookkeeping. And one of them I outgrew and then the other two just did not deliver and it was trial by fire and it really sucks when you're doing that with books. So thank God we found a good bookkeeper earlier this year and things have been just so much smoother now that you can track everything and have a clean year.
2: So are they utilizing the books through Atfolio, or are they doing it separately?
1: Yeah, we run everything through Atfolio, and then my VA does all of our bank recs for everything that he can, which is usually 85 to 90%. And then after that, I'll do a pass. And then after that, we have a fractional CFO that we hired to do the complete and finalize REC.
2: Cool. For anyone listening to this, you may not be self-managing your portfolio, but what I would challenge the listener with is if you are a small-time investor and you have one or two properties, even if you're remote, if you're not happy with your property manager, I would absolutely give it a shot. I think... The difficulties of management are overblown by many people, especially at a small scale. As you get larger and grow scale, it does become more difficult and more complicated. You need more employees, more infrastructure, of course, like any other company as it grows. But when it's small, it's definitely doable. And I'm an agent also. I work with a lot of -of out-of-state clients and I always challenge them. If you got a duplex, fourplex, try to manage it. Just see how it goes. And if three months or six months, you hate it, you're miserable, or if you're making 500k a year and that 10% fee is irrelevant to you, well then, okay, obviously it may make sense to bring in third-party management. But the number one complaint I hear from investors, especially those out of state, is how bad their management is. And it sounds like you had a similar experience.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And I think it's not talked about enough. People talk about buying real estate and they say, well, if you buy it right, that's all it is. I'd argue it's about sixty to seventy percent operations. You can buy a real estate asset, great, but if you got a bad operator or a bad management company, they can run it into the ground, they can suck your cash flow. One eviction and unit turn can dry up your cash flow for years if you gotta do the renovations again. So it all comes down to operations and third parties just not gonna do it as well as you are. So if you can do it, I'd say up to fifteen. Fifteen was my capacity to self manage and still have a life.
2: Yeah, that reminds me of another quote, and I'll probably butcher this one as well, but it's, a good manager will not make a bad deal good, but a bad manager can definitely make a good deal bad. (laughs) Something like that. Very true. I think operations have been talked about more this year, especially with people slowing down on acquisitions and people with sizable portfolios have certainly started paying a lot more attention to maximizing their efficiencies and operations. So I'm starting to see that become a little bit more topic of discussion, but you're right, the last seven, eight years that I've been in real estate, 90% of the conversations were about how to get started, how to acquire more, how to scale. And I think having effective operations is a large percentage of success for most operators of various small and large sizes. So you're absolutely right. And it needs to be a focus for anybody listening to this.
1: Yeah, and I do teach on this too. So I do have a coaching course where I go over all the automated systems that I use and and to help people that want to self-manage, right? It's really doable up to, I'd say about 15 units. You can get Google Voice number. You can use softwares out there that automate a lot of things. You can partner with websites like Avail and Stessa, which are bookkeeping and property management websites that just make it really easy for the beginner. They already have your contracts, your leases. It's not that hard and you could even do it if you're not in state by all the technology and the systems that are out there. So it's doable.
2: Absolutely. Another thing I tell a lot of my clients, it's like your property manager, if they're of any size and scale is not going to be the boots on the ground person that's going to the properties anyway. So my point is that if they're not doing it, then you don't have to do it. You can be anywhere in the world. And if you find a decent handyman, if you find a decent person to open the doors for potential lease ups, everything else can be done remotely. So those are the only two people and that could be the same person or two different people that you really need to have that will answer the phone and show up when you call. And if you have to pay them well, you're still probably paying them more than a property manager is going to. So back to my point, challenge anybody to try it at least on a small scale. Yep, well said. Awesome, let's transition to best ever lightning round. You ready? I'm ready. What is your best ever book recommendation?
1: Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'll say second to the Bible, Seven Habits. It impacted my life so much. I read that when I was 22, and it's a thick book. I will say it's heavy. It took me several passes. It's a book I read every single year, and I learn every single time something new. Stephen Covey was an amazing guy.
2: Best every way you like to give back?
1: Part of my church. I'm a believer myself. Jesus changed my life, so... I believe in tithing, giving the community, and then also serving the community. So I'm a greeter at church, go to Bible studies, and just talk about him.
2: Give me a mistake you made in one of the deals you've done and a lesson learned from it.
1: Ooh, talk about the Purple Palace. The third deal I ever did was a single family, and I'll backtrack. The second deal I did was a burr that went phenomenal. Bird out 100%, it went great, Proof of concept. Let's just do this, right? Third deal I did nightmare so bought the purple palace bought it for thirty thousand dollars a little crappy two bedroom one bathroom house bought it in bellevue which is a suburb of omaha that has city inspectors that are a lot more strict so i didn't even know that you needed permits for remodeling houses i was going to do a lot of the work myself got red tagged by the city so they shut it down had to get a bunch of licensed contractors out there built a garage that i had to get torn down just a nightmare that one took me 11 months to figure out and finally complete and it ballooned. The rehab that I thought was going to be 25,000 was 65,000. And then as soon as that tenant moved in, I got a call saying hey, it smells really bad downstairs and I was like, what? So sent a guy over there, sewage is backing up. So didn't get a sewage inspection. Turns out it was old Orangeburg pipe that was completely gone so had to redo $14,000 from all the way out from the house to the city, redig that pipe. So that was a fun project to say the least, but thankfully I did buy it super under market. So I was able to burr all of it out, but that one was nine months longer than I initially planned. And instead of being a home run was a squeaky single.
2: Yeah. I've had a few of those. So I feel your pain and I totally relate. Where can our audience learn more about you and connect with you?
1: Very active on Facebook. If you want to look me up on Facebook, Wyatt Simon. Go to Instagram, Wyatt Buys Buildings. And then my website is WyattSimon.com. And on there, I've got a bunch of free resources, guides for how to do property management, anything like
2: that, WyattSimon.com. Awesome. And we will be sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Wyatt, thank you so much for joining us. Audience, if you got value from today's show, please leave us a five-star review. Make sure you're following us on social media. And I hope you all have the best every day. Wyatt, thanks again. Thanks, Joe.